Today we are interviewing Dr. Ricardo Padilla. He is an oral and maxillofacial pathologist and a distinguished professor at the UNC Adams School of Dentistry. You are listening to The Smart Dental Student, your source for information regarding dental school and your professional journey with your hosts, Matt Manley and Landon Guy. So we have Dr. Ricardo Padilla here today. Dr. Padilla, thank you so much for being here with us on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. So first, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us who you are. Who's Dr. Padilla? Not just the dentist oral pathologist, but who is Dr. Padilla the person? Well, I'll be very happy to do that. So my most important aspect of life is that I am the father of two daughters. I'm the, I'm the husband of my lovely wife. My wife and I are from Guatemala. We met when we were 15 years old and we were in high school. We dated for nine and a half years and got married. That's awesome. So uh, high school sweethearts. Yeah. We came to the United States to do graduate school. Uh, I finished dental school in Guatemala and she finished nutrition in um, Cornell. Then we came to, we went to Florida for residency and she did a master's there. Uh, After Florida, we went to Texas where I did an ENT fellowship and head neck pathology fellowship. And from there, uh, I was recruited to come here as faculty at UNC and I've been here for Close to 20 years. Wow. And um, along the way, I passed a couple tests and uh, jumped a couple hurdles and uh, I'm still here. Loving it. Mm, that's awesome. So, Dr. Padilla, what, what got you interested in just dentistry in general? Genes- dentistry started way early in my uh, high school education. So my father is now retired, but he was a country pediatrician in Guatemala, in a, in Guatemala City, but in a low socioeconomic area where he would see patients of very, very low uh, resources. And that got ingrained in my head that the, the idea of service was important. The idea of biology and healthcare was important because I could see how my dad made difference, made a difference in people's lives and health. That... Um, was a something that was a double-edged sword because I also saw the lifestyle that he had to endure and that many times he will be gone in the middle of the night or we wouldn't see him for a special occasion mm-hmm. because he was literally helping somebody. So that made me realize that I, I did want to do something in healthcare and service, but I didn't want to have this sacrifice lifestyle that I mm-hmm. saw in my dad. So I also happened to be relatively useful with my hands and with spatial reasoning and mechanics. And I thought that dentistry was going to mm-hmm. be a good hybrid of that. And um, during my last year or two in high school, I started toying with the idea of medicine, dentistry. I also have always been very interested in um, military education. So Mm -hmm. I also toyed with that. And at the time we had some uh, interest in agriculture. So I I flipped a little bit on those for a few months and then I decided to 
do dental, dental education, dentistry. And I started in dentistry thinking I was going to be an orthodontist. Mm. That was because I could see the lifestyle of my orthodontist matching with what mm. I wanted. And I, as I went through dental school, I decided against that because to me it was very monotonous in my mm -hmm. perception, maybe erroneously, I don't know. So I, th I figure I'm going to do prosthodontics and that was a good fun engineering thing, which I did. And I have to add here a parenthesis, which in Guatemala, you go to dental school right after high school. So oh, wow. I graduated high school at, I think I was either 17 or barely 18. So I started dental school at 18. Oh, wow. I had a motorcycle accident that knocked me out of dental school and I restarted at 19. So you start dental school and it takes eight years. College and mm. dental school is hybrid in one single thing. So you get your BS and your DDS from the same thing. And after pros, I started having experiences with oral surgery and I fell in love with oral surgery. So I wanted to do that. I did it for a few months and I thought I was going to pursue that, but then I uh, started taking courses in oral pathology, which was a hybrid at the time of clinical oral pathology and microscopy. And in Guatemala, in the dental school I was, it was a very small dental school with a faculty to student ratio of about 10 to 1. And I was able to shadow my my professor, Dr. Roman Carlos, who I consider the, the mentor of my pathology life in his private office. So I started to see his patients clinically and started to see a little bit of microscopy and I fell in love with that and never looked back. Wow. That's a pretty cool story. Yeah. That's, so that's the story. So what does your day-to-day -day look like as an oral maxillofacial pathologist? Well, I wish I could answer that because then that would mean that I have an organized, consistent life, but <laughs> it's not. It is a react reactionary uh, lifestyle that I have professionally. So no day is like the other. And that m makes for fun and, and dynamic activities. But if I summarize a typical week, I will have about 10 hours of teaching Uh, that I spread between actually probably more like 15 hours of teaching. I teach dental hygiene students in their first and second year. I also teach dental students in their first year. I am the residency director, so I teach postgraduate student residents in their first, second, and third years. I also teach a little bit of uh, oral surgery courses, and I do lots of CE as well. So I teach different levels of audiences, mm -hmm. and it's fun to adapt to those audiences. So I have that for a good 15 hours of that <clears throat> In addition to that, I see patients in the clinic for mucosal diseases or jaw diseases. And I have that for about five hours per week uh, with the occasional consultations that somebody may see you in your office mm -hmm. or in your operatory and you call us for a consult. Mm -hmm. I also have another five hours a week that we share Dr. George Blakey 
and I in a combined clinic that we started about 18 years ago, mm. or maybe 19 years ago. It's a combined oral surgery, oral pathology clinic. So we see the patients that have tumors of the jaws or precancerous lesions of the mouth, and they get their pathology and surgery consultation and treatment at the same time. So when oh, Dr. Blakey is doing... Um, biopsy procedures i'm there picking the spot or if he is sampling a lesion i will be there to know how the patient looked like and the lesion looked like in the patient before i sit in the microscope mm -hmm. i have about 20 hours a week which is about 30 to 40 percent of my time of microscopy which is we look at the slides of patients' biopsies when they are sent here. Uh, Dr. Valerie Murat is my boss and she, um, she and I see the biopsies. We share them equally and we see about a little close to 9,000 cases per year. Wow. That's about 45 cases a day. So that keeps us mm -hmm. very uh, entertained. And other than that, I do a little bit of research and I do a significant amount of service to the profession with committee work mm -hmm. and functioning as um, um, in service to uh, national and international mm -hmm. organizations. So that's what I do. Usually it's about 60 to 70 hours a week and maybe a couple hours on the weekend. I try not mm -hmm. to work on weekends. Uh, sometimes I have to, but that's what I do. Mm -hmm. And usually I en end up my days very tired, but really satisfied. Mm -hmm. And it gives me lots of things to think about when I can't fall asleep or if I wake up early, I always have mm -hmm. something in my head to consider <laughs> maybe a difficult case I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. For example, I'm right now dealing with um, uh, a tumor in a two day old boy who has a lesion in his maxilla mm -hmm. and we are trying to figure out what it is. And mm -hmm. so I get to, I get to deal with some serious stuff, some not so serious stuff. And I try to do it in a way that, that, enhances health of people and, and makes it interesting for our students. Mm -hmm. So would, what is your work and home life balance? Like do you, when you go home, do you are, do you have to take work with you or are you pretty much free to leave work at work and, you know, spend time with your kids and, and your wife? And so that has been a failure of my life. Uh, I, I don't have work life balance. Uh, that is one of the th reasons why I went into dental school mm -hmm. and dentistry because I didn't want mm -hmm. the lifestyle of my father because he always had work at home. I have failed at that. Mm -hmm. I always have work at home. I always am thinking about work and I get home about sometimes 8 p.m. or if I'm lucky, 7. So maybe I'll catch the last part of dinner or sometimes I just say goodnight to my family, but that has not been very well managed by me. I think if I was a better time manager, manager, I will do it, but I don't have life work balance. Uh, well, I have a, I have another question for you. Um, are you the one after when you do the microscopy and stuff and you determine what a particular lesion is, are you the one relaying the diagnosis to the patient or are you facilitating that through another dentist or? Sometimes surgeon? I am the one if I am there with Dr. Blakey or if I am the one with the patient in, in my clinic, that's just me on Wednesday mornings or Friday mornings. Mm -hmm. uh, but the majority of the cases after I do the microscopy, actually 
all the times that we do the microscopy, mm -hmm. we generate a report that goes to the person who harvested mm -hmm. that tissue. And the, the report goes to that person. We also call live on the spot. As soon as we get the diagnosis of malignancy, we call the surgeon mm -hmm. and we give them a verbal result of mm -hmm. that. So I relay the diagnosis to the surgeon and that mm -hmm. person then will see the patient. When I do that is because it's my patient doing mm -hmm. that or I am involved in the clinical side of it. But as a pathologist, you are one step, one degree detached from direct patient mm -hmm. care. Because that was one thing I was going to ask when you have contact with patients directly, how, how difficult can it be to tell a patient that you know, the lesion that you noticed was an invasive and aggressive form of cancer? It's, it's never easy. It's always a stressful situation and there, um, you get used to it, but that doesn't make mm -hmm. it fun mm -hmm. or easy you develop more and more empathy with patients because you know that you are about to change their mm -hmm. life significantly, emotionally, um, uh, uh, spiritually, etc. Mm -hmm. And you have to remember the basic things that you learn uh, in your how in your home and also through dental school in your mm -hmm. professionalism and ethics uh, exercises that you are treating a human mm -hmm. that could easily be yourself. So you treat everybody like it's your sibling or your mother and hopefully they will feel that from you. Mm -hmm. A few things that you need to do always when you give bad news to patients is a you have to do your homework before that. So you never want to give somebody bad news on a Friday afternoon mm. if you can help it, because then they go home and everything is closed. They cannot help themselves in any way. You also want to do your homework because you need to know everything that you can about the diagnosis you're about to give somebody. So if their diagnosis is squamous cell carcinoma or mucoepidermoid carcinoma or osteosarcoma, mm. you have to know everything that you can before you make that phone, uh, before you enter that room with that patient, because that person is going to have questions. Second, or an, another thing you have to do is you have to have already contacts about the next steps mm -hmm. of what's going to happen after you walk out of that room and that patient feels in a vacuum. So you have to give them in writing the next step that's going to occur. A, somebody is going to call them for an appointment or B, this is your appointment to see this team or this other person or whatever is going to happen. So you always want to give them the next step. You want to give them information about their lesion that is reliable because the next thing that happens is patients go home and they pull up um, the internet and they start getting information, sometimes mm -hmm. good, sometimes bad. Uh, you also have to always be respectful. You have to do it in a private room where there is somebody with you that will witness that conversation. Mm. And you also want to make sure that after you do that, you have some time to um, debrief yourself because you have put yourself through a very stressful situation. Mm. And if you don't take 30 seconds to take a breather and switch channels, you will bring that to the next room where mm. there's another patient. So you want to make sure that those things happen and uh, try to give the patient realistic expectations on the optimistic mm -hmm. side to, to give them 
an empathetic way of moving forward. Yeah, that's some really good insight. Thank you for, for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So what would you say are some opportunities for, and as you mentioned, you have really close interaction with the, the residents in, in the program. What, what opportunities do they have when they get out of school? Is it an academic setting, hospital setting? Um, where do they tip, where do your residents typically go after they finish the program? That is a that is a matter of very high pride for Dr. Mora and I. Fortunately, we have been around the block a couple of times and we have a very extensive network of colleagues and a relatively respectable reputation, especially Dr. Mora, who has been president of the Board of Oral Pathology and president of the Academy of Oral mm -hmm. Pathology. And she has been on multiple inst multiple institutions and we have served on different mm -hmm. boards and and national and international committees. So our network is pretty large. We have been successful in um, seating our residents in academic or private practice positions mm -hmm. to 100% uh, of the residents that have wanted a job. So when they leave, they get the chance to have a job in what they train them for. Uh, and we consider them highly esteemed colleagues. And some of them have gone to private practice. Some of them have gone to academic institutions far and near. Some of them are foreign trained people that go back to their countries. And we hope that they multiply the, the knowledge in their own own ways so it's a rewarding situation to see that after many many hours of training somebody it takes three years to train mm -hmm. an oral pathologist and during those three years i share with them a good 20 hours a week so that is a lot of investment a lot of effort and it's great to see them bloom when they go mm -hmm. to their professions uh, oral pathology can be a very rewarding situ uh, occupation if it's done in a, in a good way, both mm -hmm. aca academic setting and private practice setting. So what kind of advice would you give someone who's looking into the specialty of oral and maxillofacial pathology? I would advise somebody to make sure that they spend multiple days visiting different places and people that do oral pathology because, <coughs> sorry, man, no, <laughs> because uh, there are, there is a very wide range of scope of practice of oral pathology. Some people, some of my colleagues will only do microscopy and they spend their day in an office uh, looking at glass slides all day and then they go home. Some people will only teach and they don't see a biopsy or a patient. Some people will do a little bit of everything. Some people only do research. So I will advise that if somebody is interested in oral pathology as a career, that they shadow multiple people in different locations to get a good flavor of what, um, what the spectrum of practice, mm -hmm. scope of practice is. And also to realize that oral pathology is consider for re reimbursement purposes, a medical specialty. Mm -hmm. So you will always be practicing under the medical model of reimbursement. Mm -hmm. That means that our services are covered by the patient's medical insurance, Medicaid, Medicare, or any private insurance mm -hmm. they have. And that also means that 
different than dentistry, we don't get 100% of the money that we bill. The collection mm -hmm. rate is much lower, sometimes in the 20s or 30s, compared to 100% mm -hmm. that an orthodontist or a prosthodontist will get, for example. Mm -hmm. So the um, generation of income takes a lot more effort mm -hmm. than if it was in regular dentistry. Yeah, that's an interesting insight there. I never really even considered that. Yeah, so, it's, uh, because it is a medical model, mm -hmm. it's a very different, it's a very complex mm -hmm. uh, way of doing business. Mm -hmm. So if you could go back in time to Dr. Padilla in, in high school or in dental school or even as you were doing the residencies, what advice would you give yourself? Mm-hmm. I would probably try to teach myself time management skills better. And I would probably have instilled in me the habit of having a more organized routine. I would love to do more triathlons mm -hmm. and um, do more of my activities that I only get to do during the weekend. Mm -hmm. But if I had to give myself some, or if I could give myself some advice is I will try to remember not to neglect myself mm -hmm. or my body or my emotional or physical mm -hmm. needs and to try to cultivate that mm -hmm. because I have neglected that. That's some really good advice. And as someone who's in dental school, I probably should take heed to that as well because it is really difficult to kind of get into your routine and and just slave away with school and correct not really pay attention to you know your own mental health and your physical health correct and before you know it you put on 20 pounds you're like how did this happen correct correct that's exactly that's exactly the sad reality that mm -hmm. when i started my career in dentistry i was 18 years mm -hmm. old i am now 51 years old mm -hmm. and probably probably a good 30 pounds mm -hmm. heavier and not healthier at all mm -hmm. from where I started. And that's something that I think I did incorrectly. Mm. So what would be your best pitch to someone to do oral maxillofacial pathology? That is pretty personalized. So I, mm -hmm. I do sell oral and maxillofacial mm -hmm. pathology for candidates who are already interested mm -hmm. and I sell the program and I sell the school, but I sell it in a way that it is more a, an infection rather than mm -hmm. a sales pitch. So what I have successfully, or at least I feel I have successfully mm -hmm. done is I just infect people with mm -hmm. the passion that I have for oral path. Mm -hmm. And I hope that's what brings people to mm -hmm. UNC. So my, my pitch is I walk the walk mm -hmm. and I let people see that when they come for interview and, and see it. But if, if somebody needs a little bit of convincing, all you have to do is narrate what you do on a daily mm -hmm. basis. And they will probably see that if your passion is to be in healthcare, to help people be healthier, then oral pathology definitely mm -hmm. is one of the many ways you can fulfill that. 
Yeah, I like that a lot. That's that's a really good pitch. I mean, yeah. I feel like, especially when it's more reason based, when you're trying to pitch something, like you can always argue someone into something, and then yeah. but someone could also come and argue at them out of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that if you have to convince somebody to do something, that really is not their passion. Mm -hmm. So if I have to convince a person to go into oral pathology, they're starting already behind the eight ball with mm -hmm. that. That should be something that they model or they have seen modeled and then they drift into it by their own conviction. I think that pitching it or selling it is probably the last resort and pretty sad mm -hmm. scenario. So if you could go back, would you do something else or would you stay doing what you're doing in academics, either the academic side or even just oral maxillofacial pathology as a whole? It's impossible for me to, to go back mm -hmm. and think like that, but I don't think I will do anything different mm -hmm except I probably will somehow put in my yearly schedule to visit my family at least mm -hmm. once a year, which is another thing I have neglected uh, because of work mm -hmm. that it just, it's a difficult thing for me to, to reconcile in my schedule. But that will be one thing that I would do mm -hmm. differently. I will make sure that I include visiting with my family mm -hmm. at least once per year. So this is kind of an odd question. We've been trying to ask some of the other interviewers this question. But if you were, or if you could be any animal, what would you be and why? Hmm. That's a really interesting mm -hmm. question. I have never thought about it. Um, I don't know. I don't know what animal I would be. <laughs> yeah, no, but the, you on the spot with that. It's not. Yeah. Well, I, I can here. tell you one of my favorite animals mm -hmm. is. Hey, that'd be good. Definitely the squirrel. squirrel. I love watching squirrels. I think their life is fun. I think they do all kinds of stuff, mm -hmm. fun stuff. Uh, I don't know if I could be a squirrel because that's <laughs> a lot of energy and a lot of <laughs> things. Uh, but if I could be an animal, I would probably be. One of my dogs. One of your dogs. Yeah. I don't have dogs right now, but mm -hmm. historically I loved mm -hmm. my dogs and having dogs was a good thing. And those dogs were loved mm -hmm. and they gave us love. So I would love to be a house dog. Yeah, I, I, I love that yeah. because I know some of our other guests, they've said different things and I feel like what you choose can reflect a lot about who you are. Like some people will choose to be lions and stuff and you're like, oh, these people are... Yeah. You know, they have the personality where they, they want to be bold and step out and stuff like that. But then like a house dog, just, just loving. So I yeah, feel I would like that reveals a lot a, about you. I would probably that. be a house dog, an indoor dog, uh, maybe a little bit of a sheep dog because mm -hmm. I, I also am very protective mm -hmm. about my loved ones. Mm -hmm. So I'd probably be a hybrid between a house dog and a sheep dog. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> So if someone's interested in the specialty or has more questions, how could they potentially reach out to you? Well, they can just reach out to me in any 
in a typical way, or they can show an interest and, and they can always shadow us. Uh, we have dental students and hygiene students and visiting scholars from all over the place come with us and they spend time. Uh, we also, this is one thing that has been good about this stupid pandemic, which <laughs> is we have started using uh, teleconferences a lot mm. more. And we have since then started having guest speakers mm. from other places remotely. Some of my prior residents are being very generous with their time. And, and instead of us being here doing the same conference we do, then we will patch in Dr. Press from uh, Nashville or Dr. Flores from Greenville or mm. Dr. Lim from uh, uh, Durham or Chapel Hill, and then they will be able to interact with us. So we are happy to, to have people over. Uh, it doesn't make any difference for me to have zero or 10 people around me when I'm diagnosing cases or seeing patients. Uh, so the more, the more, uh, rich the discussion. So everybody is welcome to come visit. If they are part of the institution, they will be HIPAA compliant, etc. Mm -hmm. If they're not, we would have to run them by an accreditation session of uh, a few hours where they will attest and get training about, um, um, HIPAA, because mm -hmm. as you know, we do deal with very sensitive issues with, mm -hmm. with patients. So we respect and take that very seriously. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for your willingness to do that. And, of course. And I appreciate you stepping onto the show today with us. And uh, Dr. Badia, thank you for your insight. And I, I got to learn more about you and I got to learn more about the specialty too. So that was well, pretty awesome. Well, it's been an honor and thank you. I wish you guys all, all kinds of success with your, uh, with your um, project. And I'm sure that you will have a very wide audience. And I hope that people get to know a little bit of what dentistry is all about and that dentistry is not only teeth. Dentistry is healthcare and that through oral health, we can contribute to general and systemic health and vice versa. You have been listening to The Smart Dental Student. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this recording are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent the organizations that the individuals are affiliated with. If you enjoyed the content of this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. Also, you can follow us on Instagram at Smart Dental Student or visit our website for more information at smartdentalstudent.com.